Well, our scripture today comes from Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, fill me up that I might be but a vessel of your words. May those words pour out on these, your people, in such a way that they are inspired and moved to go out and pour out that spirit onto others. Dear God, sometimes my flesh gets in the way. And where my words become my words and not yours, may they fall upon deaf ears. Amen. So it is still Christmas. I'm not sure if you are aware. Um, we still have the Christmas tree up. That's our, a first hint. Um, and the Advent wreath is still up. That's your second hint. But um, Christmas lasts for 12 days. But I know that many of us have already kind of been over it a little bit already, right? We opened up Christmas gifts, we um, celebrated, and now we're, we're kind of moving on, right? So um, last week, if you were here, we, uh, we celebrated Christmas Eve with, uh, we got our numbers back the other day, with over 4,000 of our closest friends and family. That is a lot of people. <laughs> it's over three campuses. If you were here, you know we had overflow in Helms Hall. It was a great time. We are exhausted. So I will just tell you that. We are exhausted. Um, the clergy kind of tend to lay low the week after we, we get our stuff done, but we kind of lay a little low and, and try and rest a little bit and try and recover. And so this year, because of the way Advent fell, because it was um, short in a way, and the Advent 4 fell on the same day as Christmas Eve, I just was not on top of my game, and I never got my house decorated. And so um, if you live in my neighborhood, you know this already, but our neighborhood was decorated so beautifully. Everyone's houses were so beautiful, and um, lights everywhere, and Christmas everywhere. And then you see the pastor's house, and it was the one dark spot in our neighborhood. <laughs> so... Um, uh, representing. Um, but what I did do, because we, we knew that we would have huge crowds, and we weren't really sure this year with Advent 4 falling on Christmas Eve, we weren't really sure who, how many people to expect. And so at our Bonds Grove campus, many of you know I'm, I'm there uh, most of the time. And so at our Bonds Grove campus, one of the things that we kind of talked about and tried to figure out was if there are over 100 people at Bonds Grove, then we don't have enough space. And so let's go ahead and plan on it being in the fellowship hall because the fellowship hall can, can comfortably seat about 200. And so we went ahead and planned on it moving over into the fellowship hall. So instead of decorating my house, I decorated Bonds Grove, and we have a picture of Bonds, Christmas Eve at Bonds Grove somewhere. I think we do. Yeah, there we go. So um, it, was, it was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful service. The people down there really rallied behind us getting everything set up. Justin Lineberry, who's our 
director of praise and worship here, he helped me figure out how we were going to set up a stage and a backdrop and all those kinds of things because I really wanted to make sure that it looked like a sanctuary and a holy space, even though it was a fellowship hall. And so when I went back in on Wednesday, I had to break everything down. It was so sad. It's so much less fun than setting it up. So I don't know if, if any of y'all are like that. I will tell you that normally when I do decorate my house, I am the truly liturgical pastor who says that it gets to stay up until Epiphany so that I don't have to break it down. I'm, I'm so liturgical that way, y'all. But my mom is the reverse. Now, my mom texted me at 3 o'clock p.m. Christmas Day. I was not with her on Christmas Day. She texted me at 3 o'clock p.m. on Christmas Day. The tree was down. She wanted to make sure that I knew. <laughs> um, my family celebrated a couple days before um, because with, with my family, just the way everyone is and everyone's spread out, we celebrated a, a couple days before. So she had already knocked it out on Christmas Day. And I know many of you have already taken your Christmas decorations down. Some of you are truly liturgical like I normally am, and you're going to leave them up maybe until uh, February 14th. I don't know. <laughs> Christmas is over by then, by the way. If you weren't aware, that is past the 12 days. But either way, I do appreciate this time where we've kind of gotten past the busyness of Christmas. Right? We've gotten past the busyness of Christmas parties, family get-togethers, Christmas pageants, Christmas concerts, Christmas everything. And we can actually sit and rest in Christmas. Because I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I feel like Christmas distracts me from Christ. Sometimes I feel like the busyness of how busy we are, we get these peaks and we get these reminders, but sometimes it becomes a distraction from really spending time with Christ. And so I appreciate that there's this season, this, there's this time period where we actually get to sit and reflect on what has just gone by and the birth of Christ, our Emmanuel, and we get to sit in that for a moment and reflect and, and refocus. And so it's interesting that the lectionary this week is Paul trying to refocus the community in Galatia. Now, if you don't know what a lectionary is, we don't always use it here. I tend to use it over Advent, um, but we don't always use it around here. But the lectionary is kind of the, the schedule of readings that a lot of churches go by probably the simplest way to put it. And so for this week, our lectionary text is this Galatians text where Paul is talking specifically to this community in Galatia. Some background on Paul, if, if you don't know about Paul, Paul is the author of 13 books of the Bible. Now, some of these are disputed, uh, so we can debate that later, but generally speaking, he is the author of 13 books of the Bible. They are letters written to different communities throughout the region. And these communities, the reason that this is important when we look at this passage is that each of the letters have different community makeups. So some of the communities are all Gentiles, all people who are not of a Jewish background, of an, Israel, an Israelite background. There are some books that are specifically to a, a, a Jewish community, a, a specifically Jewish community, and there are some, and, and that's where we fall in Galatians, there are some that are both, that are a mix of both. And so what we see in Galatia at this period of time is a mix of people who grew up Jewish, 
who grew up following the law, who grew up uh, paying attention and, and very faithful to who God is. And then we see a group of Gentiles who now have been incorporated in to Christ's mission through Jesus Christ, to God's mission through Jesus Christ. And so what we have here are these two different groups of people. One that has been following the letter of the law, everything that the law has said for their entire life. They've been following everything that, that God has ever ordered them to do their entire life. And so that's one side. The other side is this group of persons who just now are being included in to Israel and Israel's promise through Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is a little bit like a sibling relationship, a little bit of sibling rivalry maybe, where we have the big brother who's done everything right, who has followed the law, who's, who's done everything um, according to the law, who wants to kind of say to little brother, hey, listen, this is the way we do things around here. This is how things work around here. And then we have little, little brother, the, the Gentiles, who, who want to follow the big brother and want to be incorporated in such a way. And they're looking at the, the Jews and saying, I would love... So that's what it takes to be a good Christian. That's what it takes to be included in to this promise. And so I want to do all those things too. I want to do everything that they did because they're faithful and I look up to them. And so Paul comes in and is talking to these two groups of people. And what this kind of reminds me of is these two parables that Jesus told. One of the workers in the field. There's, there are workers in the field, and there's one group of workers that work in the field from morning until night. And then there's another group that comes in a little bit later, and yet both groups get paid the same amount. And, of course, the workers who have been there all day are a little upset that they worked all day long. They did everything that they were supposed to do and got paid the same exact amount as this group that, that showed up later. It doesn't really seem fair to them. And then there's the story of the prodigal son. And it's two, two sons who collected on their inheritance. And when they collected on their inheritance, one stayed by his father's side and worked with his father and helped his father out and stayed by his side the entire, his entire life. And then there was the other son who took his money, ran away, spent it all, and then came back home. And when he came back home, the father graciously offered up his arms, opened up his arms, and threw him a party. And of course, the brother who stayed said, that's not really fair. And so that's kind of what we're seeing in this story is these two groups that can't quite reconcile what it means to be someone who grew up in the faith, someone who has done everything right, and to have this new group come in who all of a sudden is included in this promise of Israelite, and they didn't have to do a thing. And so what happens is they're trying to put rules on each other, or the Jew Jewish Christians are trying to put the same rules that they abided by onto the Gentiles. So Paul says, no, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't put those stipulations. You're just enslaving yourself back into the law, when what Christ has done is make you free. Christ has made you free of that. Christ has given you grace. Now, something else to know about Paul, if um, you weren't aware, Paul also was Jewish. Paul says he was perfect and blameless in the law. And so in this way, Paul is actually an insider. He's, he is a Jewish Christian he is one that has nothing to gain from telling this other group of people that they are perfectly welcome, perfectly in, even if they don't do all the things that the law says. Paul has nothing to gain from this because he's already in. 
It reminds me of um, this movie that came out when I was in high school, which um, it, it's kind of funny to tell this because some, some people know this and some people know this. Some people know this movie and some people don't. And so you're kind of telling on yourself or I'm telling on myself about how old we were at this time. But it came out when I was in high school and it was about it's, the movie Never Been Kissed. It's a ridiculous movie. Like, I'm not recommending going home and running it. It's a ridiculous movie. Unless you just want to take a nap to it. I don't know. But um, it's this movie that's about this girl who's in her 20s. And she, a woman in her 20s. And she, as part of her job, as part of being a journalist, has to go back and pretend that she's in high school. So she goes back. She pretends. She relives her high school years. And her boss says, no, 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 you have to be on the in crowd. You have to get in, into the in crowd. That's where the story is. And so she goes to her brother, and her brother was cool in high school. Like, he was the guy. He was on the baseball team. He was a jock. He was the guy. And so he told her, all you need is for one person to think you're cool and you're in. All you need is for that one person to reach out to you and, and you are in. And so he ends up going back to high school so that he can be the cool person who then thinks she's cool so that she can then get on the in-group, in the in-group. And I know that this is a ridiculous movie and a ridiculous story, but we all know that feeling. We all know what it's like to have one person who invites you in. We know what it's like to have that one person who invites you to the party, who invites you in the neighborhood, who welcomes you in the neighborhood, we know what it's like to have that one person. Maybe some of you have country club memberships and you know that a member has to sign up, sign off on you to actually be a member. You have to have that one person on the inside who, who lets you in. And so that's who Paul is for this community. He's the one person who's on the inside who's saying, I'm here, I'm in, and I'm telling you that they should be in here too. That that's what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ has made it so that all are in, that all are part of this. But Paul is an insider. Paul is an insider who has nothing to gain from this. He also has to reconcile what this means. Paul also has to reconcile what does it mean to be someone who has been faithful, who was part of the chosen, who was part of this story of Israel that has been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and, and negates that? He, he has to reconcile that for himself as well. And what Paul says is that it's not as if the mission changed. The mission of Israel was always to spread the message of God. And here is how he defines the message of God. It's found in Romans, and we'll have it up on the screen. If you have persuaded yourself that you are, now listen to this. This is what Paul says is the mission of Israel a guide for the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an educator of the foolish, a teacher of infants, since you have the full content of knowledge and truth in the law. And this is what Paul says is the mission of, Israelite, of Israel, is to be this person to all others, to be the message bringer to all others. And so he says, it, this mission hasn't changed who God is and what God has covenanted has not changed with Jesus Christ. But instead, what's happened is that Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has come as the faithful Jewish person, the faithful Israelite. He has come and fulfilled all that so that all can be a part of this. 
Now, here's the interesting thing to me. Jesus came so that all could be a part of this. Jesus came as the faithful Israelite to open up this covenant to all people so that all could be included in and grafted into Israel. But what Jesus had to do first, what Jesus went through first, was to be an outcast. He was cast out to the point of death. So the irony is that the one who came to bring us all together, to bring us all into Israel, has to first be cast out, was the one who was cast out. The one who came so that all could be invited in, all could be a part of this story that God has to tell, is the one who also had to be cast out. It's just the irony of this is incredible to us, for us. But with this now, all of us are heirs of God's mission. All of us now are inheriting what what God has done and who God is so that we then can become that faithful group that goes out and is the light and the teacher and brings out that mission to all others. Now, one of the things that Paul is talking about here is the, um, what it means to be an heir, what it means to inherit wealth. And in, in this case, we're talking about the wealth of, of the gospel, the wealth of grace. But we can understand, Paul explains it in a previous passage, the, the same way that we, can, we kind of understand it today. Now, I do not have a trust fund, but I have friends who have trust funds, so this is my understanding of a trust fund is that you are given an inheritance, but it's locked away for a certain period of time. And, and each one has different stipulations. But the main point of it is that typically you don't receive the fullness of the inheritance until a certain time, until you are of age, of a certain appointed age. So an 18-year-old, maybe, or a 21-year-old, maybe even 25 or older. But they all have stipulations typically around age. And what this does is, is that you, you probably don't need access to a million or two million dollars when you're 10. I have a 10-year-old nephew. I can imagine if someone gave him a million dollars straight out, there would be a lot of Legos in our lives. You know, there would be a lot of baseball cards, there would be a lot of baseball games, but it probably would not be spent wisely. And I will tell you, my nephew is brilliant. Um, he has a genius mother, and I, she is my sister, and so... I can tell you that she is smarter than me, and she is a genius. Um, And so she had a genius child as well. He is very smart. I still don't trust him with a million dollars. Because he's just not mature enough yet. He doesn't fully understand. He doesn't fully grasp what it is to have access to that amount of money. And there are some of you in here who are older than 10 who still are saying, please don't give me a million dollars, because I still wouldn't spend it very wisely. Um, Some of you are like, please do, because I wouldn't spend it very wisely. But... um, The point of all this is to say, Paul says, we had to wait until an appointed time. We weren't ready yet to receive that grace. We weren't ready yet for Jesus to come. So it's not as if everything changed. It's not as if the mission of God changed. It's instead that we had to wait for this time where we were fully ready. And the thing is, we we still aren't fully ready for it. We don't fully understand the grace of God. Even now, we still don't fully understand the grace of God and who God is. It's called the mystery of faith for a reason. But even when we don't understand, grace still covers us. 
And grace should feel like freedom. It should feel like uh, running into the arms of God, our, our Father, Abba. But what often happens is that we put stipulations back on ourselves because it helps us frame things. It helps us understand things a little bit more. Uh, several years ago, before I went to seminary, I worked for this organization called the Bethlehem Center in Charlotte. And its claim to fame kind of um, is that it's over Head Start for Charlotte. And so Head Start is a program that is for um, kids that, um, for whatever reason, can't be in a normal preschool situation or a normal early childhood situation. And so they may be low income, they may have behavior problems, they may have um, learning disabilities, but for some reason they can't be in a normal um, early childhood education program. And so, yeah, that's them. Um, and so these are precious, precious little children, two, three, four-year-olds. So I was talking to a teacher one day, and she was kind of lamenting her job to me. That's probably a nice way to put it. Um, venting is another way that people sometimes put it. And she was talking to me about her job, and she said, I, I love these kids so much. I love them. But sometimes, she's like, the, the hard thing about it is one of the stipulations that they put on us, and this is because Head Start is a national program, it's, it's government-run, it has certain stipulations about who, how things have to be run, and she said one of the stipulations that they put on us is that we can't use the word no. Uh-huh. Imagine your life with two, three, and four-year-olds not being able to say the word No. So I asked her, and this is not, by the way, this is not me trying to teach how to parent because I do not know. And so I'm not making a judgment either way. However, we could probably all agree that no is a lot faster to say than what this woman told me they are supposed to say. So instead of saying no, they have to say a better decision would be. Imagine doing that to a two, three, four-year-old that's running out into the street. <laughs> a better decision may be to stay here, to not get hit by the car. No is quicker. No is faster. It's, it's faster to say it. It comes out of our mouths faster. And so this isn't a parenting judgment. Some of you may have may also made this decision to not say no to your children. Bless you because no is faster. It is much faster to say. And so that's what happens to us sometimes. We can't fully understand the grace of God, and so we put no's on ourselves a lot. We have these expectations of what being a Christian looks like, and so we put these no's on ourselves a lot. And what happens a lot of times is this turns into things like shame. This turns into things like disappointment. Disappointment that we can't live up to the standards. Disappointment that we can't fully live up to who God has called us to be. Because we put no's in our heads. Just tell me what I have to do, God. Just tell me what I have to do. Just tell me what I can't do. What can I not get into? How much, how, what little can I do to be a Christian? And God says, no, no, no. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe in me. And what God is saying is, you can do whatever you want. You, I'm never going to tell you no. But let me tell you, a better decision would be to follow me. I'll, my grace will cover you no matter what you do. But let me tell you, 
a better decision would be to live into who I've called you to be, to live into being my child, my heir, that I love you so much that I sent my son to walk with you so that you may be an inheritance or an heir to what I have promised you. That's the better decision. It, it reminds me of the first time that I ever, well, not first time, the, when I, I went to Atlanta for four years and was in seminary, and anyone who was in seminary will tell you that it's the four years of being as broke as you possibly can be and then some. And so I spent four years of not shopping for clothes. Unless they were holy in a way that you can't show up to church holy. I did not shop for clothes. And so the very first time that I took an appointment and I got health insurance, we were, we were good, you know? And so I sat down with my budget and I decided, you know, I probably cannot show up to church with clothes that are holy and not in the good way. And I probably need to go shopping. And so I sat down and I created a budget for myself and I gave myself, I allowed myself, brace yourself, because a lot of money, $75 that I could go shopping with. It was like freedom. If anyone listens to Dave Ramsey, like I heard that freedom sound in my head. Um, <laughs> one listens to Dave Ramsey. <laughs> um, so it just, the boundaries, the boundaries that I placed on myself in that moment actually gave me freedom. Because it actually allowed me, it gave me permission to, to go and spend my money, my time, in this thing that I needed so much. And so when we put, our, put boundaries on our lives as Christians, they shouldn't feel like shame. They shouldn't feel like restrictions. They shouldn't feel like they're meant to, to punish us. But instead, it should feel like freedom. It should feel like there are ways that we can be focused in the middle so that we can run after who God has called us to be. And New Year's is this time where we uh, tend to make all these resolutions for ourselves. We're going to do better. We're going to do better. I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A anymore, which is not true, but I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to diet. I'm going to exercise. I'm finally going to use that machine that's been sitting in my, uh, my second bedroom for 15 years. I'm finally going to use that machine. I, but we, we put on these, these new New Year's resolutions that look a lot like no's, but what would it look like to create New Year's resolutions that surround and that follow who God has called us to be. And those things don't look like shame or disappointment or not living up to God's standards. They look like hope. They look like peace. They look like joy and love. They look like running after who God is, the freedom that is who God is. And so if you're feeling like a slave today, if you're feeling like you are caught up in boundaries, if you feel like you're punished, know that that is not of God. That God instead promises grace that covers each and every one of us. That we are an heir, that we are a child, that we are loved by God. Let's pray.